Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. So now I have a question to pose to all of you listeners. Do you consider this the episode in which Miami Vice jumped the shark? I'm going to say it might have been a little bit earlier than this, but I'm trying to think of like a particular episode. Because, yeah, next week's actually a pretty good episode, and I do remember it very vividly. This one I have no recollection of ever seeing in my entire life. But, um, you know, there are low lows and high highs. And let's just put it this way. We got some great, great looking ladies in this episode, and we have Alfred Molina. So let's get into it. This week we are breaking down season four, episode four, The Big Thaw. Per IMDb, the synopsis is as follows. A cryogenically frozen reggae star comes to Miami to be unfrozen by Zwitek and Izzy. Don't really think that's correct, but is the plot really that evident this episode? Let's just play it by ear. But let's get into the opening shot. The cold open is really shot beautifully. I love the green lights. And we're overlooking an abandoned nursing home. So like very dilapidated and decrepit. And Tubbs foreshadows this entire episode. Thermostat must be broken. Oh, a lot of thermostats are going to be broken <laughs> this episode. He's referring to the coffee. Uh, so I'm not sure how long this coffee has been sitting there for it to get cold, but I'm assuming if they were doing a stakeout, it's quite a while. But it's also the middle of a heat wave. So as we get to later on this episode, so heat and temperature is the big theme of this episode. What it really means, I don't know, but let's just move on. So Zwitek's a little bit late as Crockett's giving him a little bit of, you know, pullback on why he's late. He was saying that he had to get a warrant from the judge, and he was able to twist the judge's arm into getting a warrant signed this late at night. Hmm. He might have a little bit of dirt on this judge. Why'd you do it? Tell him I knew Mrs. Franklin from the Police Auxiliary League. I guess maybe that 20-year-old was not his niece. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but that's honestly how you get stuff done <laughs> with bureaucracy. It's just like a little bit of blackmail. So they're getting this search warrant because they have seen some unusual chemical shipments arriving to, again, this abandoned nursing home that have given them cause for concern. They go inside, they find a room that is bolted shut, fetch the bowl cutters, which Switech does, unlocks it, and they go into this, it doesn't really look like a lab, they don't really see chemicals, they see lots of computers. They see a giant pod, I wanna say about eight feet long, silver, rounded, with a clear window. What's going on? They uncover, they take the sheet off, and it's a missing reggae star that is quite well known because they recognize him immediately. What is he doing here? He looks a little stoned. He is. Stone cold frozen. The writing is also kind of weak this episode, especially when it comes to the reggae artist and his background as friends, which we'll get to later on. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but yeah, like that joke, it's like, okay, I get it. 
But this does remind me of Futurama because that's basically the pod that Fry goes into. And that was only about 10 years after this was released. So it's funny. I want to know what the first instance of like being cryogenically frozen, aside from Walt Disney and that rumor, came to be in pop culture. I also heard that, remember, the hyperbaric oxygen chambers was also a big deal in the 80s and 90s. So I'm very curious about where these themes come from. And the one thing that like it really did leave with me is like, wow, what if I could freeze? Would I want to see the future or would I not? I'd rather go to the past. But you can't really do much in the past because you would change the course of time. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tricky one. But like, what if you're stuck in the future and you can't get out? Aside from, you know. Yeah, it's a very hard question. And like, what if all your friends and family that you left behind? And obviously Futurama made me think of that in addition to this episode. But yeah, where you just start a new life and you're a complete fish out of water. Everything you know is gone. But you have this insight because you were alive this generation ago. That actually, who knows? I'm really giving this episode too much grief. (sighs) Oh man, so at OCB, it is the middle of a heat wave. Like I said, temperatures are going to direct this entire episode. It's kind of chaos. They just come in with this pod, again, with this frozen reggae star, place it on Crockett's desk, and then the two guys from the lab show up. Uh, One in glasses, one that was also in season three in the episode Forgive Us Our Debts. He's Tommy Barkley. He's kind of the friend of Frank, who's about to be executed, and... Crockett goes to Communicence, blah, 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 blah. That's a great episode. Go back to season three and listen to it, especially over this holiday if I do not release a new episode over New Year's. This is what I would recommend to you. However, for this episode, he is a cryogenic biologist, if I remember correctly. That's, I believe, what he refers to himself as, but let's just say he's a cryogenic expert. And he studied with the utmost expert on cryogeology. <laughs> And apparently, this is not a corpse. This is a hermetically sealed pod where the reggae star is cryogenically frozen and he wants to be reanimated. And this is the guy that's going to help him do it. So as they're going and doing their back and forth, Castillo whispers very loudly, how relatable, because you can imagine how I whisper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he whispers very loud to Crockett, like, hey, this is supposed to be an undercover organization, like, undercover deal, like, let's get them out. Like, it's OCB, like, they're, it's supposed to be undercover, they're not supposed to be barging in here. So Crockett gladly walks them out. Then we cut to back at the lab. Crockett and Tubbs are still asking a lot of questions. They want to know what's going on. This is when our boy, oh my god, what's this character's name? I'm sorry, I... <laughs> told you I was I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy with this episode but you can tell I uh I was like ah oh, you know what I'm uh I'm okay with these things Dr. Frobel that's a horrible name however I digress this is the doctor's name and he is showing them a dog that has been frozen and a cat who has been frozen and unfrozen seven times and this cat is not having it seven times we figure she's good for at least a couple more don't we sweetheart so 
Uh, yeah, that cat has a right to be pissed. And the poor kitty looks so tired. <laughs> Leave this cat alone. Now, a familiar face walks into this lab. None other than our zany, wacky comic relief, Izzy Moreno. He is here. He is interested in what the future could hold. He tries hugging Crockett, who does not have it. Also goes to hug over Tubbs, who's also not having it. And it turns out that he is feeding the older scientist, Dr. Poe, who, again, his cognitive skills are kind of on the decline, but mentally he's all there with regards to this research. But he's just, like, forgetting to eat and forgetting to chew is pretty gross, so Izzy has to spoon-feed him. So it turns out that our reggae star, Robillard Nevin, died from fugu poisoning, which if you watch The Simpsons, you know that's from blowfish or blowfish stew. And there's always a risk that there will be a little bit of poison. It's a very intricate dish to prepare properly and to prepare non-lethally. So it turns out he wanted to be reanimated once an antidote came out. And it turns out that Dr. Poe, the old doctor that was not being able to chew his food that I mentioned earlier, he is the one who had just created this antidote. So now it makes a little bit more sense why all these chemicals were being brought in. If the antidote was really working, they were planning on reviving, reanimating. I'm thinking of reanimating like a Frankenstein. However, I do not want to speak from a place of ignorance, so I will let Dr. Folger take the reins from here. Close. You see, the clinical definition of death is not the absence of heartbeat. People are brought back from that state every day and the heart restarted, nor is it the absence of alpha wave main activity. That can be resumed also. So, no, you see, it, as long as the body is organically intact and not decomposed, it can be reanimated. Oh man, well, this is going to get more wild. So... They want him to prove that he has some kind of ownership of the body. There's some kind of agreement that they don't just have this body being held hostage for a scientific experiment, that this is one that he signed off at. Then as they're going outside, they're going to take a walk, they're going to go to OCB, there is proof there that we'll get to in a second. And when Crockett basically says, like, this smells like a con, he replies back, very kind of funny and succinctly, like, life's a con. Like, we only got 15 minutes here and everyone's just trying to make it. I was like, oh, that's actually a very interesting perspective from a guy who is in the business of keeping people somewhat immortal. So, very interesting. Yeah, like, that just kind of makes me pause and think, like, if life's a con, why do you want to extend it? Do you think it's going to get better? Do you think that the future generations are going to solve all these problems that they don't have? Imagine just being frozen in time 40 years. Like, or I started watching the series of San Francisco recently, and a lot of these episodes are from 1973. I was like, oh, it was 50 years ago. <laughs> and a lot has changed, a lot hasn't. And it's just very interesting to see, like, how far technology has progressed, but how certain things have stayed the same. So, interesting. I think I would like to go back in time to, like, 2011. That was, like, pretty solid. 2011 was pretty solid. Don't know about you guys, but that was... It was before social media, and yeah, it was a crappy year personally, but like Tumblr was really good, Twitter was really good, that was like top of their A game, that was like kind of like the beginnings of social media, but like not what it is now. But I do like TikTok, and that's also a big time suck. I miss blogs, I miss beauty blogs, and I miss 
blogs on like what to do with your weekend and places to go and people places to see that weren't all spawn con but let me digress we're going to go back to 1987 here and we're going to ocb because his estranged wife and her lawyer have brought in evidence that she is the rightful heir to not only his body but his fortune and that they were in love the lawyer is taken aback by the craziness at OCB, especially with this air conditioning repair and just kind of the perceived insensitivity of this matter. Because again, she's hollering and wailing over her frozen husband and Dr. Folger basically kind of reminds her like, he didn't want anything to do with you and that you guys were basically divorced. However, legally, they were still married. But again, the lawyer is not happy and he wants to tear OCB a new one, which will not be good. The record, your department's lackadaisical attitude and insensitivity regarding the remains of my client's deceased spouse has greatly increased the stress already placed upon Mrs. Nevin. We apologize. We're not equipped with the evidence lockup. There wasn't enough space in this scene for me to say this, but you could hear that like kind of like metal scrape on the floor that's the pod getting brought out of OCB by the window on a doll <laughs> as um also Alfred Molina is British today I learned I just know him mostly from Spider-Man and he has such a prolific IMDB I was like wow I am so ignorant I'm so sorry Alfred Molina you have had such a storied career on stage and on screen and to be fair, I guess most people know him as Doc Ock. I don't believe Doc Ock had a British accent though. So like this kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, wow, Afro Molina's so young and so tall and British. But aside from the insensitivity, this is where they're gonna grill her a little bit more. Your husband, for all intent and purposes, was divorced from you. A romance was rekindled, and we were headed to a reconciliation when... Divorce papers were never filed. <laughs> Only because Rosses don't recognize divorce on Western terms. Why don't you tell them why you're really here? To finally place at rest the remains of my beloved Robillard. What about the 30 million other reasons? Okay, this is also where I'm going to raise an eyebrow. Rastas don't recognize divorce in Western terms. However, they're legally married. So if she is legally the heir and legally entitled to this $30 million fortune, divorce is an option. So yeah, that was kind of a weird one. Also keep in mind that $30 million is his fortune because I'm going to bring that into question a little bit later on in the episode of just like how it's portrayed um this is again maybe me like being a little bit too nitpicky i'm trying to stay positive and have fun with these episodes that are not the best but sometimes it gets a little hard so let's get back into it we are going back to the nursing building and now homicide is trying to take the body so they're all freaking out we have izzy outside and we just see Folger and Izzy scooping ice like basically how I would as a bartender like on a Friday night like just scoop it scoop it scoop it ice and it's so wild that's what I put it's like so unsettlingly wild because they're getting ice because Poe has just died they want to make sure 
that they could cryogenically freeze him if they can preserve the body. However, Homicide believes that there is foul play involved. Also, it's a dead body. You can't just do with a dead body what you will. That's called... That is a crime in and of itself. You can't desecrate a body. Oh my god. I guess they're not doing it with intent to like do anything bad to the body. But yeah, you can't just keep a body for medical purposes. Super icky. Um, I guess unless you volunteer or pay to be cryogenically frozen. So I guess... I'm very intrigued right now. I... Did kind of like some half-assed research, but like I think I know exactly what rabbit hole I'm going to go down in tonight. Let's pour one out for our world's greatest cryobiologist, whatever he may be, Dr. Poe. <laughs> world's greatest cryobiologist misses out on his own immortality. <laughs> Look, I believe that Poe knows that you tried, wherever he is. I want that woman tried for the murder of Dr. Poe. Okay, I could see the motive. I could see why she would do it. However, they haven't proved anything yet. But Izzy brings up a good point. He asked Folger if he feels confident enough to take over, quote-unquote, the big thaw and bring Robillard Nevin back from the dead. This is when you see the light bulb above Folger just illuminate, and he grabs the big book of research, and he's so excited because he has the research and the knowledge left behind from Dr. Poe to do this. However, back at OCB, the air conditioning is still broken. Trudy is looking amazing in blue, and she keeps this outfit on for the entire episode, and we thank her for it. Zwitek is kind of just going to pull a Zwitek. He is at the end of his rope with this heat wave. You guys have managed to turn this place into a giant steam room. It's like being held captive in a health club. I hate steam rooms. I hate health clubs. I hate health. I don't even like you! Stan! What? No, that is your problem. See, I treat my body like a temple, and you treat your body like an amusement park! Wow, poor Zwitek just getting another fat joke. Now, when they're talking at OCB, Gina says that she was able to track down one of his bandmates that he plays in Coconut Grove, so Gina and Trudy are going to go check it out. This is also where I raise an eyebrow. So Gina and Trudy go to this house and I did look it up on Street View it's not the greatest part of Coconut Grove but Coconut Grove is still you know it's not the hood of Miami and this lady sees Gina Trudy come through the doors asks if it's social services that's the first thing out of her mouth and they're like no we're looking for so and so it's about Robillard Devon and then she brings them outside as she's rocking this very cute baby on her lap she brings them outside where his bandmates are singing Bob Marley in the Whalers outside. This is actually quite wholesome. So when Gina and Trudy gets to actually sit down and talk with the band members, I really do like that song though. Uh, one of them is quite chatty. Basically says that these are these kids, which was like six of them are Robillards and part of me was like wait if he has 30 million dollars his bandmates 
and his children are living in a house, not like a compound, not like multiple houses, not that big of a house. And there was like 20 people there. Really? Like, and he planned this out. Like, wouldn't he have put, wouldn't his bandmates also have money if he has $30 million? I'm sure they're not going to get as many. He might have gotten endorsement deals, whatnot, appearances, have you. But like, I just don't like, I don't know. I just don't like this. Whatever. Let's. Let's play clip. Did never never disappear before? Months, months, man. This latest thing in Japan, though. You mean you saw him before he disappeared? At Sopa. It was the middle last night of the tour. And he got a hold of some bad fugo fish. Robbie always thought he was dying. If he cough funny, he called this poor fella. You mean he spoke to Poe in Japan? And, and after that? They took him away in the jet plane. Last we saw or heard. So at least with this, his bandmates are cooperating that he is a willing participant and a willing patient of Dr. Poe. Let's cut to this cute little Cuban cafe. And I did put a picture in the gallery. I was like, what's a Medium Noche? I was like, I was like Googling it. And then every time I Googled Medium Noche Cuban, it, all these restaurants would pop up. I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. But like, what does this mean? Turns out it's a style of Cuban sandwich. It's a fluffier bread, like challah bread, instead of like the flat panini bread that Cuban sandwiches are normally made of. It's a shame because I've been a vegetarian for so long. I've never had a Cuban sandwich and I've had the vegan version twice in Los Angeles, which also maybe is not the best place. Maybe I'll try a vegan one in Miami because just kind of like meh. I, but I'm, I know obviously the real thing is that hits, you know, but Tubbs and Crockett do get in this conversation, the same one that we're having or the one that I'm having with myself. Of like, what would happen if you could live forever? And Crockett, his cynicism actually comes into great play here. The way I figure it, the risk is if it does work. What do you mean by that? What do you think would happen to us if we knew we were going to live forever? Well, we live out all of our dreams, work out, uh, live to our full potential. No, no incentive. No sense of uncertainty. <laughs> And it's right at this time we heard the car door open and close. That was Gina and Trudy. They're coming by to update Crockett and Tubbs, basically letting Crockett and Tubbs know that Robillard, Nevins, I'm just going to say the full name the whole episode, his bandmates, number one, can provide witness statements on the relationship with him and Dr. Poe and knew that he was in contact with him and that also, which is very interesting, that he's done this before. And the wife has also tried to get a piece of that, or the whole piece of that fortune when he did this again, when he disappeared for a long period of time in 1981. So maybe this isn't a new thing. Maybe he's been wanting to get cryogenically frozen for a while, or he just likes to disappear. But apparently when he disappears, the whole band basically takes off because they aren't inspired, which also is completely fair. No, again, I just watched this episode to get all the clips. So it should be fresh in my mind, but I can't remember. I swear I think that Crockett hears the phone ringing at this Cuban sandwich stand. I think more correctly is that he calls in OCB just basically like say like, look, we have cooperating evidence that he's worked with Dr. Poe. Like we're going to try to get ownership of him from them. Then when they hear that the ex-wife and the lawyer are back at OCB and they're a little suspicious about the timing of Poe's death. But again, she is a smart lady with a smart lawyer. 
We weren't anywhere near that man that died. But you did have probable cause. Along with every other grieving relative, these cracks have built out of money. That capsule stays where it is until those papers are checked. And that's my rule. Well, ticked, okay, gentlemen. We're all getting older by the minute. And you're waiting right into a civil suit, detective. Well, there you have it. Papers are in order. Judge Franklin wants to transfer me. Swite tech. All right. That thing gives me the willies. How are you going to transport it? I've arranged for a private ambulance to meet us here. All righty. So now this is where it gets funny. Zwitek goes to check on the body. The pod, let me be more specific. And there's just a puddle of water on the floor. The body is gone. And there is a great picture of the wife screaming in the background with Alfred Molina looking very angry with serious eyebrows and like sunny kind of disbelief. Zwitek in a hard hat. It is wild. Until we get to the next scene that is also very wild. OCB is going nuts. This is what it sounds like. I don't even know who to listen to at this point. Go. Bravo! Look, I don't care. You just gotta get the word out on the street because that's what we're looking for. Here. All right, come on. Yeah, all right. What is quiet in here? What is this? A freaking circus or what? So again, I, his band and his children and their families are there basically singing in his honor because he is there in spirit as the air conditioning vents are falling out of the roof while there is complete chaos going on with OCB and finally Crockett is able to get them all out. And he looks so relieved. And then basically Castillo just walks over, hands him this landline. And it turns out that someone has cut the cord. Someone has cut the landline of this phone. Oh my God. So again, where is this body? Everyone is freaking out. Again, this is OCB. It's supposed to be undercover. And that's part of the reason why Crockett had to get everybody out. The same thing. Like, it's also what he asked Alfred Molina and the wife, like, wait, how did you follow us here? Like, this is supposed to be undercover. Like, they're, this is really not great for their, their covers. So, where could the body be? Then we cut to a car waiting in traffic with basically a platform being hitched along on this limo. It's the pod and it's just very scantily wrapped in like one layer and again I understand that it's hermetically sealed so like it's staying cool but like also Miami in a heat wave and of course Izzy is stuck in traffic so his body is just thawing out before the big thaw pre-thawing <laughs> oh man so Izzy calls and he's talking to Dr. Folger. And Dr. Folger's on the phone with Izzy when Esther, the wife, comes in. Looking like a million bucks, but she is there for one thing and one thing only. And she wants that body. And she has him at gunpoint. And this is when he has put down the receiver. But Izzy can still hear everything. So we can hear everything that's going on. Here's the gunshot. Stays on the line. She picks up. Ask who it is, and he can kind of deduce 
from her Jamaican accent that this would have something to do with the body that he's currently lugging around in Miami traffic. There's a car broken down in front of him, so it's very hard for him to get around. So, interesting. She shoots him after he says that he has the instructions. So, it's quite clear that she has as we can all guess, no interest in reanimating him. She wants him dead. She wants that $30 million. Oh, man. The editing is going to sound super janky right there because I've been saying Dr. Folger instead of Froble for, like, eight different instances. So (laughs) Bill Raymond, the actor, the guy who was also on Forgive Us Our Debts, the doctor, not Poe, the younger one who was just shot, is Froble. So Alfred Molina's hot lawyer, that is what I have written down in my notes, so it's a fact, is at OCD. And he's warning Crockett and Tubbs that the civil complaint could expand and escalate. Alfred Molina also claims that Froebel has the body. But just that time, Tubbs gets a call. Turns out Froebel does not have that body because Froebel's body is dead, dead, dead in the lab at the nursing home. Uh, They were called in for shots fired and they found his body. Now, after getting this news, Tubbs actually calls up the news station because they were gonna have an interview with Froebel and he was gonna broadcast in from a secret location. So they're wondering who has the body. We know it's Izzy. And this is where we cut to Izzy at kind of like a secret weird place with lots of nitrogen and the dog that was also Kaijin because it was very, very, very cute. So back at the news studio, Izzy is calling in and we'll get to see the fruition of that in just a second because Ytech wants to tell Tubbs and let him know that the shooter's description matches Esther. So this is not too surprising, but let's check in with our boy Izzy. Serious about getting this body back. I remember. And guess who's standing in her way? Well, can a person is dead only when current technological wizardries can no longer save them. And how does that apply to Robillard Nevin? Well, I tell you, uh, Ken, uh... <laughs> Just, just put the sushi over there. Uh, can I get some extra wasabi? The money's on the table. Just sp- split the tip amongst you all, okay? You see, what we are witnessing here is the dawning of a new age, a deep understanding of the juxtapositional processes of living, dying, sleeping, eating, making money. So another reference to sushi, because Izzy also brought sushi in to the lab at the nursing home, and then he's having it delivered. Again, he's meeting with the Japanese businessmen, so I guess they're ordering from like the best sushi place in town. But I think this is very interesting, like cold food, focusing on the temperature, like cold coffee. Now, they're eating it with from the takeout boxes over the pot that has Robillard and Evans' body in it. And I get that it's they're not coming in contact with it, but I think that's so weird. There's a window where he's frozen over wearing sunglasses. I don't know, eat anywhere else, but wild. Let's check back in with our girl Esther and Huffer Molina's hot lawyer. That's, I don't even know what his name is. What is Esther's attorney? He doesn't even have a name. So Alfred Molina's hot lawyer. 
he's watching the interview with her and he tells her that it's time for her to turn herself in and that is when she pulls out the gun and she is not having it and she shoots the tv just like elvis and just like zwitek did in made for each other now when izzy is meeting with these japanese businessmen with the pod to finalize the deal he wants to leave for lunch what does he want to accomplish on this lunch who knows but he wants to get a bigger crowd so this is where his his scheming gets in the way I, again my note is very cute doggy he goes to the house and he proposes a verb that made me almost pee my pants in this next clip. Inspirational co-conspirator to the Dr. Poe Institute with an invitation to the decanting of your beloved leader. Decanting? Like, why? That's... <laughs> That's so funny. I'm like, Izzy, where'd you pick up that word? Well, I guess to be fair, if he was, you know, spending a lot of time in restaurants, but <laughs> to ask them if they wanted to decant their friend. Well, fun times are over for Izzy because right then and there, Esther is right behind him with a gun and she's about to tie him up with a <laughs> board surfing rope as she wants to get all the information she can out of him. So let's go back to OCB because we do have my favorite map, the glass one with all the roads that, you know, they get to plot their course on you know how i love that map alfred molina's hot lawyer and our girl esther have actually gotten the order to get the body and they're able to put this in and castillo hypothesizes that she's probably just going to wait out in brazil till she gets the money but that the lawyer is going to be here in order to make sure that the deal goes through so they still need the death certificate and all that so her lawyer is on it and as we know, she is not hiding in Brazil. She is tying Izzy up. They're all going together. I guess he really did not want to be dealing with her tactics. They're all going together, and I mean all going together, to intercept the pod and kind of cross paths with not only the film crew, but the Japanese businessmen. So this is going to be exciting. As Crockett and Tubbs are going down, basically they hence why they were using that fancy map that I like they had kind of a radius that they could look up like they need a place that's flat for broadcasting to get a signal and they could kind of determine within like a 30 mile range which really doesn't help they're able to narrow that down to like 10 and so they were just kind of like going to places calling in going elsewhere Trudy was directing them and so the last place they were going to check obviously Crockett and Tubbs, they kind of deduce that's where everything is going down, and they figure that it'll be easier if they just take the scarab and intercept them. So as they pull up to the scene, this is exactly what I'm going to put it, the scarab, where she's holding Izzy at gunpoint while he's being filmed, she wants the body. As the scarab pulls up, the noise of the boat distracts her. She turns around, Izzy's able to grab the gun from her, Someone, I'm assuming Izzy, is able to kick it into the water as crocodile tubs pull up into a melee. And just to clarify, Izzy is saying Ayudame to the dog. 
asking the dog to help him. So as Crockett had his pull up, Crockett's really pensive. He's like, hey, you know what? Like, what's the worst guy happen? She'll shoot him. They'll kill each other. They kind of just watch it happen. Whereas Tubbs brings up a good point. Like, she is a suspect. And she needs to be treated as such. So they go over, get in the middle of this big brawl. And while the brawl is happening, someone bumps in. Basically, they have this body kind of, you know, like a barbecue has those like little wheelie legs, like a grill. Basically, it looks like one of those. And it's really easy with all those people fighting on the pier or the dock. Someone just bump in and I guess there was no lock. And the opening of this barbecue just opened and the body just slid out. However, it happened while they were all fighting. So Esther doesn't notice until the body is already sunk. Roblox, where have you gone? Yeah. Well, if you boys hurry, you might be able to beat it. Oh my god, that like fake song. Actually, hold on. Is it a fake song? Let me look this up before I talk. Nope, What Is Life by Black Ururu is, uh, that's a real song. Oops. <laughs> yeah, that song gets very annoying very quick, but that's how we end the episode. Also, I, I kind of admitted that, but you could kind of hear at the end the way that Crocus talked to the Japanese children. Yeah, again, this was 1987, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just not going to put that joke in, because, uh, yeah, just, uh, it did not age well. But unlike... Robillard's body, which seems to be aging well as he just floats off into the ocean with the Miami skyline in the background. And then we get a final parting shot of the wide open ocean and a little glimmer, a little star appears in the pod. Freeze frame as we finish the episode. Oh man, well, let's uh, get to fashion. Fashion! Let me just say the men, except for Alfred Molina, were not bringing it this episode. I have three women, four women, three women. I have four women in contention for best dressed. I have one man, Alfred Molina, as best dressed. Come on, guys. Yeah, just I the Crockett shirt is recycled, the kind of like graphic print one. Not really a big fan of it. Really doesn't do anything for it. Tubs look great, but like nothing out of the ordinary. However, we got to break this down. My best dressed slash wild card is definitely going to be our girl Esther showing up to the lab very inconspicuous with all the silver loud jewelry that clings and clangs when you run down the halls after you kill somebody then we have the beautiful woman working at the news stadium uh the news station who didn't have as much of a prolific career as I thought she would she looked very pretty and uh she took a break from acting I guess maybe to have a family came back in 2009 but I was like oh interesting she was very cute. I really liked her outfit. I liked the shoulder pads. I liked the pink. I liked the white. I liked the contrast of the soft baby pink and white with the red phone. Just, I really liked the way that scene is shot. Also, my best dressed, again, another tie. I guess it's a three-way tie. Gina and Trudy. We have Gina in like a mustard yellow that really works with her skin tone. And we have Trudy in blue with that cinched waist with the belt looking like a million bucks. Chef's kiss. Alfred Molina, hot lawyer, nameless lawyer. However, maybe my vice D, there wasn't really any on Afro Molina. He, his wife 
not too long ago passed away from Alzheimer's and she was struggling for a long time. He's really hot and British and he was in Spider-Man. So I guess that's my gossip. A lot of the bit players in this episode didn't really go on to have acting careers. I was trying to research if the James Davis had was like actually a reggae artist, but he only had two things come spy with me 1967 and Miami Vice so maybe he was just kind of like a bit player um so I'm sorry that the vice tea is very mild this episode along with the fashion but the ladies did bring it I also really loved Esther's earrings the kind of like coiled ones I have this right in front of me it's one of these um hippy dippy rings it's like a copper coil and you're supposed to kind of move it up and down over your knuckle to kind of stimulate blood flow and apparently it's supposed to relax your brain I don't know I forget what it's I think it's supposed to de-stress you but that's what the earrings kind of remind me of uh I wish I had a picture of it I guess it's kind of rusty I don't want to post it and then you guys judge me <laughs> and for music let's wrap up this episode we have two songs by Bob Marley and the Whalers I believe I only have one as a clip. I did not have a clip of Crockett and Tubbs driving. I do apologize. So the songs that we did hear was What Is Life, the one that I'm not a huge fan of. Then we have Wings of a Dove by Bob Marley and the Whalers that was performed by the the reggae band. Then we have Mi Vejeja by La Familia Andre, which was playing at the Cuban Diner that you can hear in the phone call. And then I forgot to add in Wake Up and Live by Bob Marley and the Whalers when Crockett and Tubbs are driving. Out of my three choices, because I forgot to put one in there, I would say Wings of a Dove just does have the catchiest lyrics, and it is like a very nice, heartwarming song. I also noticed the children were shucking corn. I was like, wow. I thought I grew up kind of like, you know, Midwest, I guess, I'm Great Lakes. That's so funny. I've never shucked corn. I'm like, kids in Miami are shucking corn? That's just kind of funny. And as we wrap this episode, I'm going to try to end on a positive note yes we can pick apart the acting hey you know what was not bad this episode the jamaican accents uh philip michael thomas take note <laughs> that's what they sound like <laughs> the bandmate actually i was like yeah that's much better than whatever philip michael thomas was doing oh my god <laughs> yeah man everything i Oh man, that clip never fails to make me laugh. So as we wrap up, how am I going to choose a quote of this episode? There were a lot I didn't touch on because there were some not so great jokes, but I think I think I'm going to have to go with the obvious. Inspiration of co-conspirator to the Dr. Poe Institute with an invitation to the decanting of your beloved leader. I still can't get not get over the use of that verb to dethawing your friend <laughs> too funny and just the way that Izzy delivered it you know what Izzy's probably the MVP of this episode he really carried it and I understand that this episode was very goofy and kind of sitcom-y in that way but like Izzy is the reason that it I could get through it and as we bring this episode to a close I also have one quick edit I don't want to mangle everything up with that segment because I said the measurements too many times the video when Swytek is doing the circle it's basically kind of like five mile radius from the Miami airport I don't think it's 30 miles I think I over exaggerated that so just want to make that edit now as opposed to going back and chopping up that whole segment I was like oh the map doesn't look that big 30 miles is 
quite a lot. It is and it isn't. Like, in LA, you know, my commute is could be 40 miles a day, but as a radius, 30 miles is pretty well. But that's actually what TMZ sounds for, the 30-mile zone. Again, don't add me. I want to say I believe it is a... Um, filming location requirement in order to follow union laws like you can film outside of the 30 mile zone but i think within the 30 mile zone golden time overtime all that is protected as opposed to when you go a little bit over that i believe so so i might have that wrong maybe at me at both yeah that's good <laughs> and as we wrap up this episode of vice it easy i do want to say thank you we're getting to the holidays so i have a feeling i will either be releasing Christmas weekend and not New Year's or vice versa. I really do want to get Child's Play out and recorded for you all since I do really enjoy that episode. I remember that episode so vividly watching as a teenager and watching it again as a young adult and just how I perceived Sonny during that time. And just I remember the scene of him drinking Jack Daniels alone while looking at his son like broke my heart then it still breaks my heart now. And we have another repeat Michael Mann casting situation next week as well with Ving Rhames. We had it again this week with, oh my god, I already forgot his name, Fogel, Frobel, and his real name, Bill Raymond. Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. <laughs> I called you the wrong character name and then I forgot your name, so I do apologize. But I look forward to spending time with you next episode as we break down a better episode and have a little bit more of a fun time. Now, however... I appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you all for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for leaving five-star reviews. It all helps me and it all helps the podcast. You can follow along wherever you get your podcasts, like, subscribe there, and you can also subscribe on YouTube. Thank you again and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and I'm excited to see you next episode and before we ring in 2024. And as always. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.